Well, welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. This is Dino Varelli, and here we have episode 11 with our new endurance coach on the running side, John Honorkamp. So, John, welcome to our office. You're here live in the studio. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. In our, in our big studio. This is the new studio, new office. Beautiful so, table here. Yeah, beautiful table. We've got some LaCroix water. I think that's how you pronounce it, LaCroix, LaCroix. I think it's LaCroix. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, it's delicious water. But Well, thank you for taking the drive up from Brooklyn to yeah. meet with us here in Connecticut. We're excited to have you as part of the team. And uh, today is really just kind of an introduction to the Project Purple community. And um, why don't we start with just your background? Like what brings you here? Like, uh, Well, not what brings you here because we know you're going to be working with our runners right. here in the summer and the fall. But tell us and tell our listeners at home a little bit about your background. Like how you got into running and we can go back from the very early days of, yeah. of John or we can start somewhere in between. Yeah. It's been a fun ride for me. I was actually, I'm putting on a 5k in my hometown. It's called the Siegel classic because my dad started it in the eighties as a fundraiser for our local parish. And was I'm, your dad a runner? No, he played tennis for Notre Dame. He it was like golf, he refereed basketball, but he didn't know anything about track, but he put on this fundraiser in a 5k back in the eighties but that's how I got introduced to running was just this 5K in my hometown. And it was a, a mile fun run that I did initially. And eventually I graduated to the 5K, which you know now doesn't seem that far. But back then when I was six or seven, and that's my first introduction to running. Um, so I'm going to bring that back with my dad this this um, this fall. But it's it's kind of going back to my roots. It's a, a kind of a timely uh, question because I'm kind of going back and finding the old t-shirt from 1983 you still have it i found it from someone else in the in in, in town and um i'm going to replicate the logo and bring it back and kind of have a throwback vintage but it's it's it reminded it reminds me of how i got into the sport and the beauty of our sport and running is you can start anytime i know al gordon's a famous runner in new york one of the road runner races is al gordon he started running when he was 80 um he ran to 107 like so anytime it's one foot in front of the other so i was fortunate enough to be able to get introduced to running at an early age. And running typically was a punishment for other sports, whether it was a football team I was on or, or Little League. You know, if you mouthed off to the coach, you did a lap. Yeah. Uh, in gym class, there was always like the mile of fitness, the presidential, uh, uh, whatever the fitness test was, there was the mile run. And yeah. it seemed to always be a, not everyone's favorite. I mean, sprinting can be fun, but uh, track and field or running wasn't that popular other than someone training for a marathon or you know, the odd 5K. But uh so I started when I was six years old running, and then I ended up joining my our local track team, the CYO track team at St. Raymond's, where my dad became the coach. Doesn't know anything about running. But he became the coach. But at that level, it's just getting the baton around and just keeping the kids, you know, showing up on time. And uh, I didn't have formal coaching other than my dad once a week for that, you know, the six-week season every year until I went to high school. And I ran for Shaman High School in Long Island, and they had very good academics and very good sports. And... Uh, that was my first kind of introduction to formal running where there was cross country indoors and outdoors. It was you know pretty rigorous from the CYO where I did baseball, I did football, I did track, basketball. So you did a little bit of everything and uh, I got better and better. And, um, but running in, you know, my uncle was training for the New York City Marathon in the early eighties and he was trying to lose weight and he would bring me along to these local five K's and mile fun runs. And that's kind of how I got my start in running. So did you just specialize in high school just in running? Like did you play anything yeah, I, else? Yeah, I, I did try out for the uh, basketball team 
And I like to say it's because I was so good at cross country. I was the best freshman. We had a pretty good team, but I was the best freshman probably because I had some some running history, whereas most yeah. people had zero. Yeah. Um, I was claimed that I didn't get I didn't make the team because the cross country coach wanted me on the track team. <laughs> I also was five six and one hundred and eighteen pounds. <laughs> And uh, I was good in defense because I could I just good stamina. Run and scrap. Yeah, but I wasn't much. I wasn't a prolific scorer, so I think it was just because I wasn't good at basketball. <laughs> but I, I tried out freshman year, and then after that, I realized that running was my thing, and I was good at it, and got better every year. And um, but yeah, it started early for me. That's cool. That's cool. So, would you, as a young runner in the high school age, were, were you doing a lot of like the local five Ks? I mean, now it's pretty crazy. Like I know in Connecticut here, like. Any given Saturday or Sunday, you can find a 5K. Somewhere in the state, there's something going on. I remember seeing a calendar. There's there's a couple online, but you know, some weekends there's 10, 15 5Ks going on. Just yeah, in the it's, state. it's it's there's a lot. I mean, I live in Brooklyn, so whether Prospect Park or even Central Park, there's or, always there's, there's a 5K or 10K every weekend. Yeah. It's even a half marathon almost every weekend. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, back then, I think we were in the running, like the second running, like the first kind of running boom. Yeah. So between the 70s, I think Bill Barrowman wrote that book, Jogging. In the '70s, and he was the big famous coach at Oregon, Prefontaine, Bill yep. Dellinger, and so I think in the '80s we were in this running boom. And I had two uncles; one lived next door, so one was my neighbor. Uh, my mother's brother Dan Devoe was a bartender. He played football, um, big basketball player at St. John's. He um, coached football at St. John's. That's where I ran in college, and I just got tagged along. So it seemed like there was a lot of 5Ks back then, not as much as today. But Eisenhower Park had a 5K summer series where every Wednesday yeah. night there was a mile fun run. And a 5K. And I would, my mom would take my young, younger sisters and myself there and we'd run that. And then I, w- I didn't live too far from the Long Beach boardwalk. And I remember going there running a mile or a 5K. And so it seemed like there was a lot of them, but just I think it's because my uncle was training for the marathon and we were just in it. And we, I was just in it and he, he just kind of, I just tagged along with him. And so, but now with the online and, you know, registration, back then it was, you know, just show up. You just show up, and there's like you know chalk on the road, yeah, and you yeah. say go, and maybe just go. Maybe didn't even get a t-shirt back then, yeah. barely. And now you know everyone's concerned about what, what the medal looks like and what the, the swag, swag is going to be, yeah. um, and what you know party afterwards. Yeah, yeah everything. so it's definitely. And now, as as you know, the charity thing blew up too. Where I think that started mainly at the London Marathon, then New York yeah. caught on, and and even Boston now, which is obviously yeah. traditionally this faster event has a charity component, and that's like a really um, I think part of the explosion is the fact that you know you have a hardship or you have a uh, a cause that comes your way. Um, usually, a negative thing happens in your life. You, you lost your father or whatever it is, and people want to do something about it. And I think running is a very has a low bar of entry, a low barrier of entry. Of you don't even need a good pair of shoes to run a five k. It helps, and you especially for marathon yeah. training, we want you healthy. But it's get out the door and run. You don't need to go to a gym. You don't need to have a membership. It's just getting out the door. And I know a lot of friends that played other sports in college. You need five on five. You need to rent a court. You know, running is just get out the door and do it. And even post 5Ks, people don't even need to train for. Yeah. You could do a 5K walk and usually there's some charity attached to it. And I think that's part of the, I think, the um, explosion of, of these efforts. And some not some are not always, there may be a for-profit event, but there's a lot of it. It's nonprofit and it's awareness about a certain cause uh, or a fundraiser for a different charity, and I think that's definitely part of why there's so many different events uh, out there. Well, it's fascinating. I think you know, looking back at my running days, you, you just said something uh, about anyone can do it, and and that I 
truly believe that, you know, and anyone can, and I'll back up, I think anyone can do a marathon. People always say, you know, we'll get to the marathon distance here in a second, but just talking about what you just said, that anyone can do it, no matter your shape, your size, um, you know, and even like you said, like you don't have to have a great pair of running sneakers, right. you know, now with the way the sneakers are built anyways, you can probably run, I, I wouldn't recommend doing this, but you know, you could probably run a marathon in the, I, well, let me rephrase that. You probably run a 5k for sure in a pair of Air Jordans. Sure. Without a doubt. Um, I, I wonder if Nike will do a campaign for the next LeBron to have someone run in LeBron's. I'm sure it happens yeah. at some marathon. Well, back in the day, the Chuck Taylors were like, yeah. everyone played basketball well, nose. Yeah. And yeah. You, conditioning and running. You exactly. Just use that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so it can be done, right? So, you know, I, I, that's what's so fascinating to me about the running aspect and why I fell in love with it for one of the reasons. Um, there are many more, but I remember going in my first marathon, um, which is Boston in 2012 and just being at the back in the charity, you know, section. And I remember looking over and there's like a blind guy, you know, and, and this is not, uh, offensive by any means, but you know, he was, you know, probably 300 pounds and he had right. a guide with him. And I'm like, Hey, I'm a buck 95. Right. I've got my sight. I'm healthy. I thought I was in shape. Um, but, uh, yeah, I laugh because, you know, after doing Boston, then you're, you realize how not in shape you are. Yeah, that guy's passing you. Like, oh, like, oh my God, man, how can this be? But like anyone can do it. Well, I've watched my first, I remember watching my uncle run the New York City Marathon and I, I don't, I think. I lived on the Upper East Side, and I was obviously a runner, and I thought I'd always run the marathon at some point. My first marathon was when I was 35, because so, my specialty was 800 and 1,500 meters in college and the middle distance. And um, I would, you know, I loved watching it. It was Marathon Sunday. It was a great day in the city. You know, it was usually usually pretty nice weather. It's the fall. The bars are open on First yeah. Avenue. You go for a run in Central Park, and then you you, know, you watch the, the pros come by, and then you go grab some food. And, and you have Everyone has someone running that they know. But you watch the marathon, say, on First Avenue, mile 17, 18, 19, you see the world run by. There's 51,000 runners. Um, and the shapes and sizes, it's definitely, you look at people and you like, and you think to yourself, this person has no business running the marathon. <laughs> but they're out there. Yeah. And now I've coached so many athletes, especially for the marathon. Sometimes I their first race is the marathon. They lost a bet or they, yeah. they got inspired by a charity cause that spoke to them and they signed up. Yeah. And they're like, I would always recommend maybe you should start with a 5K and 10K, but guess what? They're running the marathon. They're signed, they're in. Yeah. So I I work with them the best I can, even if I feel like they should probably start with a shorter distance. But if they're motivated enough to sign up. You have to coach them, and yeah. the key is just trying to make sure that their training is as smart as possible for them, and that they stay healthy, and then they have an idea what paces they should run. But um, everyone, I would say, it's marathon. Running a marathon is, is cheaper than a Ferrari. They'll have midlife yeah. prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to buy a Ferrari. Like, yeah. well, run a marathon because right. that oftentimes is a catalyst for, you know, bad breakup or changing yeah. jobs or moving to a new city. To you know, people run a marathon because it's just a thing to do. It's a bucket list well, item. I, I wonder. That's a that's a fascinating point, John. Right? Because I we've heard this. You know, um, I've heard it personally. But then you know, if you look at what we do, you know, from a charity aspect, and we deal with something that's just so. I call it evil, right? And these people go through this this horrible situation, but then that running the marathon is so – is it – you think maybe the endorphin rush of it? Or do you think maybe statistically because it is so daunting? I mean we know statistically what? It's 2% of the world's population, right. half a percent of the U.S. population. Like a half of a percent of the U.S. population have finished a marathon. And that doesn't – you know, you think about every year. I think what last year there was – 
I forget the number. I don't. I think it was half a million out of the forty-three million people that had finished a road race. You know, right. the, the numbers are smaller naturally right. for marathon finishers. Right. So what was it? I think half a million people finished a marathon. You know, last year, but that doesn't count for repeats, right? right? Like right. how many people? Unique. Like, right. You know, how many are new, brand new finishers? Right. You know, which is really you know when you look at the data, right? We were talking about data a little bit before. You know how fascinating that data is. But so I wonder why that is. Well, a big lesson I learned. So I started working at New York Roadrunners. I you know, obviously that left there since since the a couple of years ago to start my own consulting gig. But I started there in 2011, and I'd run my first marathon in 2010, partly to get a job at Roadrunners. Yeah. And, I like, oh, and, and I knew I would run the marathon. I'd run New York just because I grew up. My uncle training for it, yeah. and so I ran it. And then you know, coached all these people through the online program that would help develop my buddy Matt Moran at, at Run Tricks, and uh, he was on my high school. He was my high school arch rival, actually, oddly That's enough, funny. at St. Anthony's High School in Long Island. I was a Chaminade guy. And then we kind of joined forces post-collegiately and developed a program that worked for a lot of different people. But a big lesson I learned was that the second year, Sandy happened, and the race got canceled. And Road Riders was in a tough spot because you know, yeah. everyone wanted to run the race. But the city, you know, I think we didn't even know how bad it was because people couldn't get to certain places. Prices, to sh- yeah. So it was a tough time. It was like kind of a lose-lose situation for New York Road Riders. But I was probably in the best spot as a Road Runner employee because I was this coach. I coached all these runners. And obviously they were disappointed they couldn't run. A lot, I helped a lot of them run Bucks County or Philly or, or you know, other races. I think one in Florida in January. So I helped people run their marathon and some opted for the next year and but i was still getting people thanking me because i think the the biggest lessons are learned in the journey it sounds very cheesy but the journey of training for a marathon didn't matter whether you ran the marathons all those lessons you learned and i got people thanking me hey god john i I lost 30 pounds they didn't gain back the 30 pounds because they didn't run the marathon they trained for it they had the blood sweat and tears uh, some guy came off of two types of blood pressure medication. He didn't have to go back on those medications because he didn't run the race. Yeah, yeah. So that was like a big eye opener for me. You obviously have a goal. You want to train and check the box, whether it's a, you know, bucket list item or just you know a cause you're training for. But the lessons you learn are still learned whether you run that race or not. Because some people get injured, and that obviously they have to go wait till next year, defer, uh, and cancel their. But it's, I was really. Um, I kind of almost caught off guard when I had all these people thanking me for a race that they didn't run. And that, and I had my own journey. I trained, I ran yeah. in college, I ran post-collegiately, I ran, qualified for the Olympic trials. So I always had these like pretty extensive goals and, and running fast and making teams. But uh, I learned uh, pretty quickly that these runners went through a life-changing event just in the training journey. And it didn't matter that they didn't finish that marathon. They obviously finished the next one or the next year. Yeah. So they did a different one or some maybe didn't run anything after that. They got enough out of, they still raised money for that charity. Didn't have to give back their money because they didn't run. Yeah. So, and what, and what year did you guys start? 2012 was that. So that was a, probably, yeah. you probably had a similar thing where you had all these yeah. people disappointed, but there were still lessons you learned about oh, yeah. the charity itself, but also the runners learned a lot about their own selves and i think that was a huge lesson i mean i wish it didn't happen of course yeah but i was like wow these people are we're helping change lives that sounds like really not boastful but it's 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 amazing how running can have on you know just health and wellness but also people it's an avenue for people to have impact and, and create awareness for whatever cause speaks to them Absolutely. Which obviously you, you've lived the last bunch of years through Project Purple, which is amazing. Yeah. So I remember seeing you on a run in Central Park. Yeah. We connected a marathon weekend yeah. and we like chatted a bit. 
Yeah, right at the Columbus Circle. Yeah, and then so. I went off to speak at the expo yeah. for like three days straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's come, it's yeah. come a long way. And come it's, a long it's, way. Um, it's your own journey for the for the the cause and the charity. Yeah. But people have that same journey for themselves. It's unique to them, and that's why you look at First Avenue. You have the world running by, all shapes and sizes. There's a story there, and there's a, a journey that's being completed, but it doesn't end at the finish line, or no. it doesn't end if the race doesn't happen for whatever reason. Correct. So that's that's know, that's just a, something a big lesson I learned in this whole last few years. That's uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. I, I think the journey is really kind of cool, and and I've always so I played uh, basketball collegiately at a at a small level, and I always enjoyed the preseason grind, and then the postseason. The season I kind of was like, eh. You know, but I enjoyed kind of getting to that point. And that's almost like with the marathons. Like, I love I love running. Um, I've become to love running. And New York is really special. But, you know, the day of, but that whole grind to get yeah. there to that, that day. You're counting you know? down the long runs. Yeah. The parties you're missing. Yeah. You're going to bed early. Yeah. The sacrifices and the things that you learn about yourself. And that's what's something that, for me, has really fascinated me along this journey of, you know, Project Purple – um, but also the training aspect and just being able to see how far you can take your body to well, it. You know, people's the first double digit run is a yeah. huge deal. Then you're like, you wow. have to double that and then do 6.24. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then people are like, ah, like uh, this is impossible. Do, yeah. But then all of a sudden they do 18, they yeah, do 20. Possible. And the 10 mile run that was impossible initially is an easy run. Yeah. And most of the, like the race should be easy itself. Cause you have the magic of the day and yeah. the excitement of the people, the, you crowds, know, the energy, the there. bands, the, the aid stations it's that you went to mile by yourself in the rain yeah. where that's where you're you carrying. Your, yeah. yeah. You gotta, you gotta go out an hour before and place your water bottles. You know? It's like when you used to cram, cram for finals and it was awful and you had two hours of sleep cause you yeah. didn't do what you're supposed to do all semester and you're dusting off your books. Yeah. And then you have, you have that endorphins. I think it's why the, 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 what's so popular is the endorphins comes from that training ritual and the things you learn about and it's um race day is obviously off the charts as far as excitement that's why people go out too fast and yeah they can crash and burn a little bit in, in the race itself but the race almost should be the easy part if, if you've prepared oh yeah you ace the final exam if you did all the homework exactly that's it's really simple it's all the homework but it's the some of the runs you miss because you your kid was sick or work was busy and it's the life balance that obviously life gets in the way of your training yeah and it's just how do you manage that? Can't we all just train and yeah. not have to really worry about uh, work and life and everything? That's else? That's the dream. Yeah, um, that's awesome stuff. Let's uh, let's. I'm gonna bring us rewind us a little bit because um, uh, after high school, so you run in high school, and then you go to college locally, and you go to St. John's. And was St. John's a school that recruited you pretty heavily? You know, naturally being pretty close. Um, I'm sure you got a chance to go there and visit. Or... Yeah, I used to, like Uncle Sam, Uncle that Uncle Dan. I used to used to run the marathon back in the day. He, oh yeah, that's right. He, he coached, he coached uh, at St. not John's. the same time before I got there, but I used to go to the St. John's basketball games. And the Big East was the you know, mecca of, of basketball. And... So now, what year did you go to St. John's? And this is where we're going to find out your age. Yeah, I went there uh, the fall of '93. I graduated high school '93. Oh, and... so you're only a year behind. Yeah, me. yeah, that's not bad. So you were there with like Luke Karnasek was Karnasek's there. last year last was my year. first year. Yeah. And uh, this is actually a funny story. Malik Rose, right? Uh, Malik Seeley. Yeah. Seeley, yeah. And he was there. And um, my second year is when Brian Mahoney took over. Yep. And then they did pretty well that that, that year. And then they, after that, they kind of they fell off a little bit. Yeah. Then they had a big recruiting class with Felipe Lopez was on yep. the cover yeah. of Sports Illustrated. And the so whole were you Jigs there thing. for Felipe Lopez? Yeah, he, they didn't really do much. Him and Zendon Hamilton. Yeah. They... It was actually – there's a joke where kind of the reason why Felipe was on the cover is because Iverson – 
had some problems legally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and so he, it was going to be him, but it became Felipe. <laughs> Iverson had a little better. Although um, Felipe played a couple years in the NBA, yeah. He just I think they made the tournament their senior year. Hamilton played a couple years. In yeah, the so they, made, too, they were yeah. good players, but yeah. it didn't live up to the hype of the Chris Mullen and um, Walter Berry years. Yeah. They were really dominant in the mid in the mid, 90, mid mid eighties. Um, but I was always a fan. But I always wanted to go to away school because you know I'm from Long Island. I, I enjoy going to the St. John's games, but yeah. My brother went to Richmond, so we packed up the van and we drove down to, drove down to Richmond. Richmond. And I don't know how we even did it because my grandparents came with us. We had a van because I'm one of six kids. I don't know how we – ten of us fit in a van with all his stuff. You figured it out. Back then you had like a you – know, especially being a, a, a guy, he had just a, a trunk. And I, and I guess he, he had to bring the a refrigerator or, or the, the toaster oven. Throw it on top of Your the roommate roof. gets the yeah. – you know, brings the, the word processor back yeah, then. Yeah. And, um, and my brother went to Salisbury State, Maryland. He actually was a runner. He ran. And my sister went to Providence. Was she a runner? No, she just um, Providence has got a great. Well, you you know from yeah, the Big East, they've really, right? Yeah. Really good running, actually. Big East was great, but uh, so I got recruited pretty heavily by a lot of schools, but um, I didn't get a lot of scholarship offers. And I, being one of six kids, it was tough. To, I got a full ride at St. John's, and part of that is because the local coach Jim Hurd is still there. Mm-hmm. I actually coached there for a couple of years, like not too long before I was the Red Runners, um, and he he's a great coach. He's still there, and he. Him being local, he was able to see me more often in the recruiting process because you know him being in Queens and you know whether it's the state championship or the league championship, you know as a recruiter you have to go all over the yeah. you know the the, the, the the all over the country even the world to get some of these top recruits. So he was able to see me pretty early on as a junior, which is a lot when the recruiting is done because by senior year you might have already, already picked picked a school yeah. Uh, and so he was smart because he had a couple scholarships available and he actually did a package deal where he recruited me and three other guys from Long Island that were pretty good, uh, who I knew from, you know, running camps and being, you know, kind of like the, the, the good guys know the good guy. You just know who yeah. your competition is. You get to, you actually become friendly with them. Friendly with them, yeah. So I didn't want to go to St. John's by myself because the team was in a, kind of a rebuilding year, if you will, or they had a lot of good throwers and jumpers, but not really distance runners. That's the tricky about recruiting college. You have to. It's almost like six sports in one. You have high jumpers. You have pole vaulters. You have shot put. You have the hammer throw. You have distance runner. You have sprinting yeah. hurdles. It's amazing. Um, like how many different concentrations they are yeah. in track and field. It's insane because so I I took my U.S. track and field level one at Yale back. In oh yes, yeah, so you did learn all those things. And I was like, all right, I run a endurance based charity and. I know nothing about the hammer, nothing and about you the don't discus, need to, but you and I don't to. need to. But that's you know par for the course. Well, listen, I ask you because you're just, a basketball guy. I look at these benches during March Madness. Yeah, there's almost more coaches than there are athletes. Yeah, I, I I'm like, yeah. and in track and field, you only allow three coaches. That's it. And if you have a combined program, men and women, you can even get six coaches, or the throws coach can coach men and women. Yeah. St. John's cut their women's track team in 2002. So down the so we had three coaches, and we had like my so coach. So there's a throws coach, a jumping coach, and then a typically. Distance. So our my coach Jim Hurd, who was a distance guy. He ran 4:10 in high school out of Illinois. Yeah. Um, went to Notre Dame. He coached us as distance runners. We also coached the throws and oh, the jumps. He did coach throws and jumps, and then too. he had someone else doing some hurdles and someone else doing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the hurdles. Yeah. So he's just a great coach. We can coach a lot of different things. He's also been doing it for. 30 plus years and you learn things. It was so fascinating to me taking that class and like, you know, like they had the guy, I mean, they had a, a crack staff. They had uh, a guy who was the, the lead was out of um, Ohio. He was like a 35 plus year high school track and right. field coach, hall of fame guy. 
But then they brought in, you know, the th- the jump coach from Army came in right. on Sunday. And then um, the guy who is um, a big discus and hammer guy. Um, so that would be the throw, yep. I guess, throw yep. coach from somewhere down south. He had a bunch of Olympians. Yeah. I mean, it was really fascinating to me to hear these guys speak about, you know, again, me coming with the background first with basketball, which is totally different. And then... You know, the distance being the marathon, right. you know, which we're involved in or half marathon and then hearing these guys, you know, and then you did the, it was at Yale. So we went into the field house at Yale and we did like Cox cage. Yeah. Cox cage, which was really cool. I've never been in there up until that point. It was really fascinating building. And then doing the starting and yeah, you know, blocks the, the, and the blocks and then the hurdles and everything. So it was just really cool, but I didn't realize how much, like, it's just a lot. Yes, yeah, so when I coached at St. John's, I was the recruiting coordinator, so I had to coach. You know, it was easy for me to, easier for me to coach. It wasn't easy, but it was easier for me to coach or recruit the 800 meter runner or the 1500 meter or the cross country. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah. But I also my best athlete I ever recruited was a high jumper. She was sixth wow. at NCAA. She was sixth at the U.S. Trials. She's since switched citizenship, so she actually competes. She actually made the Olympics. She was 16th or 20th. But I didn't know anything about the high jump, but I knew she was a very good Pretty athlete. Good jumper. She, yeah. <laughs> she did. She did. Uh, I, she hurdled. She did long jump. She did triple jump. She did high jump. She did kind of yeah. did. She was from Jersey, Priscilla Frederick, and she actually runs for the New York Athletic Club, which is a team that I'm affiliated with now, yeah. and have been since 2001. But uh, yeah, so when I was back to the question of being at St. John's, I wanted to go away to college, yeah. and all my friends were going away to college, but I had a really tough time saying no to the local college that gave me a full ride. I've had half offers and other yeah, percentage yeah. scholarships. and But I also think it was a blessing in disguise because Queens, New York, not that there's not distractions and we're close to the city, but yeah. there was no campus, really. It was a small campus, yeah. commuter school at the time. Now they have dorms. They've done yeah, a nice job yeah. of rebuilding it. And they actually have some really good baseball. They have good, really good soccer program. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're a basketball team every other year. Ebbs okay. and flows. They yeah. beat Duke and Villanova this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in the same week. Yeah. So the um, women's basketball team used to be yeah, halfway decent. Yeah, they're yeah. pretty good too. Yeah. So I was kind of I think I remember almost being in tears driving myself to college because instead of driving the van with my grandparents and you're the, driving, I drove school. twenty minutes to my own to like the, the apartment I had. Yeah. But then I realized that as a seven as a seventeen year old I had my own apartment. That there's a lot of perks to that. Yeah. You know, being independent and spring break would come and I wouldn't come and hang out. Like I had an apartment for a year round. It wasn't wow. just the semester. Yeah, yeah. Me and my and the three roommates that I had ended up getting were the three recruits that my coach Jim Hurt recruited. One so all some, the guys from Long Island. And so we all kind of went there together and got our butts kicked in the in the Big East. But by our senior junior senior year, yeah, because you had a great I mean college career from you know. The, yeah, I mean we really you know it was four of us that in, you know obviously we were in the environment with the team and you had yeah. other other teammates, but the four of us were the same. We were the, we lived in the same house for five years. So we all went a fifth year. We all redshirted or one of our seasons our senior year. But in 96 was my junior year. I qualified for the Olympic trials. And the Olympic trials were at Atlanta because the Olympics were in Atlanta that yeah. year. So I, I got good at a very nice timing as far as like what was going on in, in our sport. So Olympic trials for which distance? 800 meters. Wow. And I was the young, I was probably the second youngest guy in the field. There was an 18-year-old that had just set the high school national record yeah. on 146.45. And then I was 20 years old. I was the second youngest in the field. And I made the semis, which was – Three back-to-back races every night on ESPN. It was like so. How was that nerve-wracking? Like, it I was, mean, your nerves must be out of the perfect know, story of how how nerve-wracking it was. Was I went down there for like a week, 
I, I kept qualifying for the next round, and initially I was relieved because the race was over. Yeah. And I would have dinner with my parents and talk to you know, my friends and family that were tracking me or saw me on TV. This is before cell phones, so there's no texting. And, yeah. You know, so no social media. Yeah, no, no it's barely even email. Yeah. In 96, this is 96. And um, then I realized I had to do it all over the next day. It was like awful because you wait around the hotel, you go yeah. for an easy run. But there was all these – Carl Lewis – I remember being at the practice track in Atlanta and – they literally like clear, cleared a, a block out of houses, knocked them down. They made oh for the they, track, they needed yeah. a practice track. Yeah, it's, you know there's all these facility requirements to, to host these things, and uh, I remember being on the track and I was doing like the strides. So I was waiting for a clear lane. You know, it was practice. People doing jumps and throws and all different things, and I felt a presence on either side of me. I look up. One was Michael Johnson. And I looked to my left. It was Carl Lewis. I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> they went on to like make the team and get a, yeah. you know, Carl won his fourth. Long jump gold in a row. Yeah. And he was older. And Michael Johnson, that's the year he did the doubles at the world record. But I remember going to the track. They would drive you over from the practice track to the <laughs> to the Olympic Stadium, which is where the Braves played yeah. since then until recently. And I was so nervous that, you know, you see the certain billboards. And I remember back then, I'd never heard of Chick-fil-A because it was a southern, like, establishment. But there was this big billboard that had, the, like, the almost like a 3D, like, cow because it was all chicken the yeah, cow's yeah. telling you to eat you know eat chicken yeah so then i remember seeing that all three nights in a row with this big billboard i just noticed it because it was like a kind of a, a paper mache cow like life-size huge thing yeah. uh, and i remember six months six weeks later i went to the olympics actually i got a ticket through uh, my dad's friend and i just went down there just to enjoy some track and field i wasn't competing and i remember seeing that billboard and i almost threw up because the last time i saw it was Three nights in a row of seeing it. Yeah. It's probably the nervous I've ever been in my life. The most nervous I've ever been. And it was three nights in a row where it got, work, got, got stronger each week. Cause like the first round, you're like, all right. Yeah. Second round, they made the semis. I was the youngest semifinalist. I just got really pretty good in, the, in my event from my junior, my sophomore year to my junior year. And things clicked. I was mature. I was more focused. I was, yeah. you know, and I just came along well that season. But it was also... You know, the Olympics were in the United States and the trials were at the Olympic Stadium that they were still building at the time. And that was a phenomenal experience, but it was definitely um, pretty nerve-wracking. But that was almost like my coming out party as far as, you know, I was a pretty good college runner at that point. I was consistent. I would score in the Big East. I would make the finals in the 800 or the 1,000 and get fifth or sixth. But that season, I really, like, stepped it up. I went from a 151 half-miler to a 147. And... That meant I qualified for NCAA Blaze, which yeah. that year we're at Eugene, University of Oregon, where Prefontaine ran, you know, the Mecca of track and field. Yeah, it was like a perfect like... year to, to – I always felt bad because my teammate, Chris Graff, had a good year two years later, and the NCAA were in Buffalo. No, <laughs> the Buffalo, but <laughs> yeah. our friend Mary Wittenberg lived from there. But yeah. like Buffalo compared which to Eugene. Big, yeah, there's a difference. It was a definitely a big yeah. difference. And there was no Olympics. Buffalo's a great place to go, but yeah. yeah. I think it was – that year there was the Goodwill Games, and it was actually on Long Island. So it wasn't like a you didn't travel very far. Yeah. We're both from New York, and but the year '96 was Eugene, was it was Atlanta, yeah. it was Olympic Stadium, and that was um, I think cool. that was my first time I made the national level at, at that at that at the, at the college and, and open level, which was uh, a little bit different than being just fifth place in the Big East final and happy to be there. That's awesome. So so was at that time, I mean, so that was like, I'm trying to think when Sosa, well, that was like in the 2000s, right? Like the yeah. steroid era. So yeah. was there, like, I know now, like the big thing is like run clean, run right. clean, run clean. And, you know, now 
we're almost the same age growing up in that era where the steroid, you know, Maguire with the jack right. muscles, you right. know, everyone thinks steroids, at least our, I think our generation, you think like, oh, this guy's going to be like super jacked. Like he's right. going to be gaining weight. He's going to be lifting like a thousand pounds. Now, like, I think it's now like the, it's more of like, Hey, Lance Armstrong, man, like, the, right. you know, to use him as an example, you know, like he was doping and it was just more endurance based or now it's like hey recovery like these guys recover like we we talk about a lot with uh not a lot but a fair amount with the crossfit athletes you know like a lot of these guys they're not like super strong like they are super strong they're not super large mass wise but they a lot of them look like track and field athletes they just have that engine and that right it's more the recovery system it's the recovery it allows you to train harder oh yeah so lance is obviously was super talented yeah and the the, the movie that documentary just came out invictus yeah yeah talks about this where you know it's more lance still had to do the work yeah oh yeah yeah. he just was able to do more work and recover recovery is the key yeah and we talk about that and obviously in marathon training but i first so was that like so to you to come back to that? So like you're going to the Olympics, and I mean, was it how was that back then? Like I mean, I'm sure you're getting urine tested, right? Like you're getting- well, yeah, I would get drug tested through St. John's. I would yeah. get drug tested through the NCAA, and then once I went pro, um, which you know, again, going pro I was a starving artist. I was making three hundred dollars yeah. a month from <laughs> yeah. Reebok, living like with like the same roommates from college yeah. down in D.C. Um, the first time I learned of steroids was really, I mean, you heard about the East Germans and back in the yeah. day, in the seventies and. But, you know, it was 1988 with Ben Johnson, Seoul Olympics. Yeah. You know, he crushes everyone and then Cro- – Like he literally crushed 979 everyone. at the time. The record was at 986, I think. Yeah. And that was the first I remember – I can look – like I remember any type of performance enhancing. he was a big dude. He was. Like, I think you look at – like you compare like Carl Lewis right. was the slim mm-hmm. – slimmed out. Even Michael Johnson, right? And then like even yeah. like you look at now like you – like – Say Bolt is, is tall, but he's yeah, not tall, like tall, but he's super lean. You yeah. know, he's not like, you know, jack, like his quads right. aren't the size of his waistline. You know, like it's just, uh, it's just a different body mass. Yeah. So there was, um, you know, I, I don't remember. I mean, getting drug tested, um, yeah. but it wasn't. You know, I didn't see a lot of it. It wasn't like people were, hey, a couple times when I was pro, people would offer. I've got offered before. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm not that good. I, like, I don't, you know. <laughs> here's some mirrors. I'm like, I think I could, I still have room to improve. You know, whereas yeah. someone like Marion Jones, and Cattles for her was she got third of the world championship one year. Yeah. And she, uh, two, I think two women from Greece went and like won two. And she was like, kind of like, they're on it. Like, I'm pretty, I'm like, she got, I think, fourth at the Olympic trials as a 16 year old. She was a phenom. Mm-hmm. She actually played basketball at UNC That's and right. won a national title. Yeah. Didn't run in college. Yeah. And then went, Went pro and track, not in basketball. And her, but her husband, husband CJ Hunter, like, yeah, was the big, was a throws guy. Throws That's guy, more yeah. of the traditional steroids you yeah, think of yeah. lifting and heavy. Yeah. So, I yeah I remember it, but it wasn't a big deal. But cycling, you know, it was like everyone was doing it, and that's just that was a thing. And then obviously Lance, that how that all played out. But it was more. Um, you still had to be a pretty good athlete. It was more. Well, yeah, that's why I think people, the, the general public, you know, like you still got to put the it's the, you know. To use Lance as an example, he still had to put the miles yeah. and the workouts. Yeah, his recovery was a lot quicker, possibly, you know, compared to that level of athlete. But he's still at a very high level. Now, did it push him to get to that level where it's ungodly, where we've never seen anyone, right. and probably will never see someone do what he did for those seven years? Well, even, the, even the whole cancer thing, yeah. that's relevant to yeah. what we're talking about a little bit, Project Purple. Like that's still, I can't a three percent chance of living. 
So no one talks he's a about bad that. guy, yeah. but like no one talks about that. That that it was amazing. Yeah. Like I think my wife and some other people like are not a big fan because like they had this wife that like stood by his side and he got famous. Yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah, Sheryl Crow. That's the like that's what I think. I'm not saying he shouldn't get a bad rap for that, yeah. but that was like um, not great. But uh, that's a phenomenal story, and the whole live yeah. strong thing, and you know that's oh it, the, the it, positives that came out of that. Yeah, you know, it, totally outweigh the negatives. It's just really fascinating, you know, to see um, to see that happen, and and you can't take away what the guy. I mean, he he should have been six feet under, you yeah. know, and he and he beat it, you yeah. know, and, and that it, that's not about performance enhancing, right. you know. And there's definitely not that it makes it okay, but I'm pretty sure. 90% of the tour was on something. Correct. And so the play, the, the playing field was level. Um, not saying it was right, but yeah. that's just that the era where kind of the Sammy Sosa, the Mark McGuire thing. And yeah. That was a new thing. And, and they always say the cheats are ahead of the tests. Yeah. And the funding that goes into having to, to create the tests and catch up and keep up. And obviously the rush of the whole thing with the Olympics. Oh, and, yeah. It's crazy. So it, we're still dealing with it, but um, hopefully it's less so. I hope so. I hope so. And and for our runners, I don't think that's the case. I don't think any of our runners are yeah. PEDing and uh, I don't think they're drug testing no, the um, no, the, the charity pro- charity right. partners. So uh, you get through college, you go to the Olympic trials, amazing experience, and then you come home right after the Olympics. Yeah, well, the trials. Yeah, that was my junior year, so I had still two oh, more so years. Two of, more years. Yeah, so we had two more years, and we actually my senior year, St. John's went to the, the nationals and cross country. And that was the first New York City team to go to NCAAs in cross country in 20 years. Wow. You know, Columbia hadn't gone there in a while, like um, NYU, others, although NYU is Division three, but it was it was rare. These distance programs were Oregon, yeah. uh, Wisconsin, Providence, Ray Tracy up at Providence, yeah. uh, Molly Huddle. Yeah. Still, um, she went to her name, but she, she, she Ray Tracy Ray, yeah. coaches her now. So there was just these powerhouses, you know, Colorado, um, and St. John's was not known for distance running but so where were the where were the nationals th- that year cross country was actually tucson arizona which oh. was tough because it was really hot and cross country is is january is september october, october november. november so you're going so from we, a we cool went, climate we, our, our qualifier was in at boston at franklin park or franklin um yeah franklin park and uh we got to tucson it was three thousand feet altitude yeah the course was on a golf course so it was like almost like motocross up and down up and down all the east coast teams did terrible and that's the last year they had it in not tucson. in like indiana state or i think louisville puts it on and yeah they like streamlined because i think we were such a big disadvantage but we were 17th in the country we had uh me and my three teammates and we had a fifth guy from florida that came in from a junior college he went to brevard uh in north carolina and joined us our junior year and so we had a you know, a good season there where we qualified for nationals and cross. And then we had another year and a half to go. And then after, in 98, I graduated St. John's and went down to run for the famous Frank Agliano, who, legendary coach at Georgetown, uh, now coaches New Jersey, New York Track Club, which is a local post-collegiate group. When you graduated college back then, and even today, there was a lot of, not a lot of opportunity for track and field. You know, if you were a really good runner, like a Marion Jones, who was a phenom in high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, Nike picked you up and you know you did pretty well. Uh, Michael Johnson obviously you know did pretty well eventually, but just out of college, we go for in the United States we go from the best system with the NCAA system for track and field. Mm-hmm. It's almost like our farm system. You know we don't have an NBA. It's, yeah. it's you know all these athletes come in, and then we graduate and there's no government sponsorship. You know whereas maybe, you know I don't know if it's Japan or even Russia or other 
Sweden, there's a lot of times there's government-funded programs, whereas in track and field, there's USATF, and they have grants now, and they've, they've done a decent job of that. But the kid who is national level in college, they might, especially in marathon running, mm. they take they they might peak at a 28. Well, they're 22 and they're graduating college. It's all so six, six years, years of... and if they're not good enough to get a Nike deal or a Saucony deal or a Brooks or New Balance. We kind of lose a lot of our athletes because the opportunity cost of getting a real, not say a real job, but a job that's to live, sustain yeah, them sustain. for their lives. You can't be yeah. a competitive. I've actually made a career out of running now because I'm coaching and I'm doing yeah. different things with brands. But it's rare that you make a career out of the sport you do. And um, I think once you get to graduate college, but I was lucky enough to get recruited by Frank Gagliano, who coached Georgetown at the time. So I was racing against him at Big East Championships, and he saw so me he saw you, yeah. and my roommates develop, and he invited us down to the Reebok Enclave, which was a post-collegiate group. And back then, there was really only a handful of locations, mostly post-collegiate, like college coaches would have kids that graduated and still wanted to you know, train for the Olympics and develop in their sport. And you had you know the Nikes and the New Balances, and back then Reebok for us, and Saucony and Brooks. And now there's obviously more sponsorships, but, you know, other 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 products but uh yeah i was a starving artist you know i made 300 bucks a month and i paid up for my rent back then i had to get a part-time job where i was you know flexible for my training schedule yeah. and, and they paid for like uniforms and travel it's funny you say like a starving artist yeah it's your starving artist and yeah. another thing is that my coach used to say i think you know when you, if you make the ncaa's in track and field like the shot put or the 800 meters or the 10k or the pole bowl whatever it is like you're top 16 in the country um, I think my when I made the semis for the, in the Olympic trials, I was you know, top sixteen in the country. Um, you know, I was making. You know, I was in college. I wasn't making anything. But when I graduated, I was making three hundred bucks a month, and maybe I'd get a thousand bucks. I won this race or three hundred dollars yeah. on a road race. Um, where it, what's my coach, college coach Jim Hurt would say? You know, what's the sixteenth best shortstop making? What's the sixteenth oh. best point guard that we're doing pretty? This, who, you know, we just had the no. Masters. Yeah. What's the sixth? The guy got sixteenth. The Did, top three made a million. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. So, I was like, second field. It's like, a, it's every four years that it's popular at the Olympic yeah. cycle, and you know, I'm not making. You know, even the minimum. There's a huge discrepancy in the income, right? Like oh, totally. professional athletes in the track and field compared to any other sport. I mean, totally. it's it's crazy the the disparis the, the discrepancy. You know, take basketball for instance. You know, or I mean, if the even, D League, you have yeah, Europe. The D, like, yeah, you, there's you so many other yeah. ways to get income and revenue, um, whereas you don't have that. In yeah. Track so field. I did that for three years, and then I came back to New York, and I started running for the New York Athletic Club, which is um, they, 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 they supported Meb for the last bunch of years, and he got dropped by Nike. So New York Athletic Club is a standalone, free alone private club, private club made up of former collegians or just yeah, runners it's funny. It's in like the New they York were, community. They're, I mean, they're pretty pretty. Um, proper term would be they're competitive, right? It's I mean it's a competitive run club. It's not a yeah, and it's actually social like, run club. But they were. They were like found the genesis of the New York. It was founded in 1868. Yeah, and part of the genesis was the like to to support amateur athletics. Yeah, so they actually I think I don't know if it was 18 the 1880s they, or 1890s they put on the first cross country championships in the, in the U.S. You know, in New York City. I don't know if it was in New York. Probably it was in New York. Or maybe been, it was Westchester, or, you know, Van Cortland or somewhere. But it was. Very instrumental, and back then it was all amateurs. It yeah. wasn't to the '70s, but pre-Fontaine's era, yeah. where they were like, "Hey, professional." The Russians guys. are making money, and they have a professional hockey team. That's what the whole yeah. you believe in miracles without Michael's yeah. call. They, they were that, that was a, a funded, fully funded 
basically pro hockey teams and a bunch of co- college kids, kids beat them. Yeah. So that yeah, they play nine out of ten times they lose, and the one time they got lucky and happened to be the right the right, right day. Time, yeah. So yeah, it was definitely um, it's different ball game when it comes to athletics and and, and funding funding it for yourself because it's yeah I decided to put my career on hold now I get my career now is running in fitness and yeah. health and wellness but your the opportunity cost of getting your first job out of college and whatever whatever you're making 30 40 50 grand whatever back then you know then you start I, I basically came back to New York and started running for them but I worked for my dad's company my dad actually to begin of history was a FW Hunter Camp Plywood was a my family owned business from, it started in 1871 I was fifth generation. I was like, I got to grow up and I got to get a real job. And running, <laughs> you got to grow up. <laughs> at 25. <laughs> Look back and I'm like, I should have stuck with it because I, you know, I was 25. I could have. Yeah. And I was actually, yeah, I was 25 when I started. You know, I still ran. Yeah. Um, fairly competitive, but it was local. I qualified for nationals. I'd run four minutes in the mile, which is pretty fast, but I was working 80 hours a week. Yeah. And uh, people I was tr- racing against were definitely not working 80 and 100 hours a week. Yeah. And so I, you know, I stuck with it a little bit. But uh, yeah, the NYSC is they sponsor a lot of Olympic athlete, athletes because it's not a lot of funding, whether it's judo, fencing, track and field. But their rosters are typically Olympians that are making. It's funny, people ask me because I manage the local team now for New York yeah. Athletic Club and it's a, you know more the road racing circuit and it's full time people who have full time jobs and kind of run for fun or run as a passion but it's not for money you know maybe yeah. they win some bu- a couple dollars in a road race or something but it's not like bringing in money for them it's just something that they do and they, and they enjoy it but people ask me like hey can i join the team and that's more the national team yeah the local team is different requirements wow. you don't have to be, you don't have to be super fast i mean relatively you do but i usually at the races whenever yeah, i see yeah. the nyac uh, yeah, women have jersey the, i'm like those yeah, guys they won, won the roadrunner points um circuit or series the last yeah. 10 years and the men have been second the last uh nine years but the world-class athletes are like the mebs yeah and like the, the club is very focused on making olympic teams and world championship teams and getting medals yeah and that's why they'll sponsor the race walker or the shot putter that aren't getting the love that the hundred meter guy gets, or the miler, the mile and the mile, and the marathon and the hundred meters are like, I mean, the decathlon obviously yeah. is a sexy sport or event because it's the greatest athlete in the world historically. That, yeah. You know, like you know, um, Ashton, Ashton Eden, Eden, you know, yeah. sets a world record. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, but the eight hundred, the four hundred, the two hundred steeplechase, you're jumping over water. Like people don't <laughs> understand. Yeah, you know, there's the marathon, and the people always ask me what my mile time is or my marathon time is. They yeah, don't really no, care. Eight hundred? What does that mean? Sixteen? Yeah. I'm like one forty-seven. You double that. That's three thirty-four for the mile. Yeah. Oh, okay. That sounds pretty fast. Yeah. But eight hundred by itself, you know, I think the guy just set the world record in the last Olympics in the four hundred around forty-three oh two or forty-three oh three. Yeah. What does that mean? You know, it's fast. Sounds fast. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds fast. But the mile, it's like the four-minute mile yeah. or marathon. Everyone. Well, I think too knows that. Here domestically, we, um, you know, we, I think there's certain benchmarks that we are as a culture like fixated on, right? Yeah, you're in the like, mile in gym class, yeah. so that's you know four laps around the track. Like people always ask, "Hey, what'd you run your, your marathon? Like, what's your marathon time?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Like, I don't really keep track of yeah. when I finished. You know, like I didn't win. You know." And I remember running my first marathon. People who knew me knew I was a successful runner. Yeah. I didn't care about my marathon time. I had a pace and I had a yeah. goal. Like I wanted to get as fit as I could and I wanted to run healthy and not be injured. Yeah. And my goal was to, to get to the starting line healthy, which is actually my goal for a lot of our runners I coach. Yeah. It's the number one goal. Get to the starting line healthy, healthy and then yeah. ho- hopefully you have an idea of what pace you should run. Yeah. Those are the two major goals. And um, 
So when I said, oh, my goals, you know, they were like, that's a boring goal. They wanted me to say 220, yeah, yeah. something fast. And I ended up running 244, which is pretty good. But it was never, wasn't, it wasn't even close to us. I wasn't qualifying for the Olympic trials. Yeah. You know, the 147 was a way better effort than you know, 244. Yeah. And actually, every marathon since, I haven't broken three. Typically, I'll pace a celebrity. Celebrity, yeah. I've run 13 marathons now, and I think nine of them have been me pacing someone. So let's fast forward. So you go to college, go through college. There's that gap, and then 2010, you run your first yep. New York with the New York City. Uh, what well, were you with? NYR? I was with NYC, but it was more. I was just, I wasn't like really on the, I wasn't like scoring for us. You yeah, know, I had people running 218 and 220 that were marathon. So 244 was not a scorer. No, was, <laughs> so you yeah, it was. Like, it was, it was um, yeah, I was, not, not, hey, listen, I've never even come close. I think I was 199th in the race, so just out that, of 50,000. Yeah, back then, it was probably 40, 48. Well, yeah, so, oh, yeah. sorry. So, so four out of 48,000, yeah. you're you're under 200. And I was like, I'm 238 pace through 24, and my hamstring locked up, and it oh, cost me six minutes in the last two miles. I I couldn't run faster than 10 minute pace without it seizing up again. So I think I went from 100th place to to um, 200th place, but it was. So, so what do you do mentally at that point? Like I, I'd never experienced it. That was the most painful. I mean, I pulled muscles here and there. Yeah, yeah. I've run some hard workouts. So it just seized. So it just like seized up, and I, you know, again, it was uncharted territory. I'd never run twenty four miles before. Um, and I was nutrition. Running, you think it was nutrition? I was probably definitely nutrition. It was just um, I'm also pretty good at the half mile. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, like fifty two of those. Yeah, so. Fast forward to twenty five point five. Yeah, I just was like, I don't know, I've never been here before, so um, it was fine. I was, I mean, I was yeah. sore for a, a week New or York, two. York, so that's New York. So you're talking. So those last, what you said, it was the last half mile. That's right? two miles. Two, two miles. I, yeah. So you're coming up fifth, right? Or have you? I was in the, the park, park at this point. Yeah, you entered it the was, park. So I had a. So you got those rollers coming yeah. in, right? But I was more just like the the pace. I couldn't. And then once I finished, it seized up again. I was in the med tent more just for the massage. Yeah. And it just, you know, I was probably dehydrated. It was, yeah. you know, I never. I didn't. I, I paid attention to the fuel, but you know, I don't. You don't really fuel as much as you should in practice because it's tough. You don't have the yeah. water stations out there, and yeah. that's why you run half marathons and some of these other training runs because that's, that have you support. You get accustomed to it yeah. because then you. It's a little more natural than you know. I would say it's it's less likely you're going to go out and put a maybe you have a young daughter or son that can has a pet project oh, put a, and put a, put water, put a water stop steps, and then you yeah. every every lap around the block. But even come still, though, it's different though because like yeah. you're stopping. I, I always find like even like those long runs. Like yeah, I, I'd go out the hour before and I. Put bottles out, right? Yeah, and you hope they're there. Right. Sometimes, like yeah, totally. someone's someone's coming out of their house and taking the water yeah, bottle, sure. throwing it in the recycling bin. That's like my fear. Uh, that and dogs, <laughs> and uh, you know, but though you stop, like you have your, you know, whatever your energy is, right. and then you get back at it. Yeah. Whereas you know, you're in the marathon, like you're hum, especially in New York. Let's we'll talk about New York. You know, I mean, there's two million fans the whole yeah. time. Even in the aid stations, you know, like the some of the aid stations are as lively as oh, the yeah. chair zone. It's chaos. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's organized chaos. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, they're cheering you on and they're rooting for you and there's DJs, you know, there's all this commotion going on. So sometimes like it's not as easy to just like stop and like no. gather yourself. You're just getting, you're throwing it on you, it's half of it's on you yep. and you're going, right? So, yeah, it's definitely, it's tough to, um, it, it's tough to, you can't uh, mimic the race no. conditions unless maybe you run the MIC half or the Brooklyn half yeah. or some of the Roadrunner races here in New York for those that are listening from New York. There's bigger races, but it's 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 really tough to. It's hard to replicate. You can't. race day. You just can't. You can't. So I, I one one woman I was coaching was so nervous about the New York City Marathon start, but she heard 
back in the day that people would pee oh, on yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. she drove over the Arizona Bridge trying to look. <laughs> That's expensive bridge. Yeah. She did it seven times. Oh, are you serious? And still, like, what'd she learn? Like, Nothing. She couldn't see anything. It's probably dangerous. Yeah. She's, like, looking over the yeah. side. And I was, she was so panicked about that. That is a start. fallacy. It there, is. That, there's no, that does not happen. No. There's no way. I've done it three times. There's no it way. Have, yeah. It does it's, not happen. I don't know how that started, though. I think you look at these old footages of, uh, I think, New York, New York Roadrunners has. Especially where like, now with the security, though, Oh, John, yeah, but right? you like, see, like, they had, like, the world longest, like, urinal. Or the, it was, like, this trough. Oh, maybe the trough. Yeah. It, and it's just, like, you know, people peeing everywhere. It's yeah, not yeah. a very glamorous. can be a not very glamorous sport. Yeah, yeah Especially yeah. when you're out there on the starting line yeah, forever. It's, yeah. That's tricky, but... Uh, but that happens at any race. I've yeah. been in, in the yeah. Fairfield Half Marathon. We were... It, it was in Fairfield, Connecticut. I remember one year I did it, and it was in... It's in June, and... Uh, we were like 10 miles in and some lady just like yep. went off to the side and had to go, you know, like she went in someone's bushes, you know, yeah, like that just happens gotta go. everywhere. It's, you gotta yeah, go, you so gotta it's, go. It's, it's, it's tricky, but uh, yeah, a lot goes on on the course. So, yeah, I guess the the fueling thing, we'll talk about that too, but that's important, but it, you don't, I don't do it as much. You can't, you can't replicate. That's, not, that's why New York is so magical because it's nothing like you've ever experienced before unless you've done it before. And even then you kind of forget and yeah. you, you run through the Bronx and again. And you see something and you're new. Like, oh something. my God. Yeah. Uh, coming off the, uh, Arizona Bridge, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, where my wife's from, actually. Yeah. And I just remember one. There was one guy with a sign, and it just said, uh, instead of saying like, "Welcome to Brooklyn," I just yeah. said, "Get the f out, out, of, here, out, of, out Brooklyn. of Brooklyn." And I used the real word, and yeah. I was like, "That's it was on the cheek," but I was like, yeah. "Welcome to Brooklyn." Welcome to Brooklyn. And it's just that you can't replicate it. That's why I think it's very easy to get a head, get excited, and it's very easy to go faster than you should be going. Should be and that really. Well, especially a, in New York. That's New the York number one. The Any marathon is, is, is not going out too fast. Yeah. And it's so hard to curb that enthusiasm because you're pent up at Fort Wadsworth for hours. And then you come off that bridge and it's like there's no real dead spots on New York. I mean, maybe wow. top of First Avenue gets a little thinner. The bridges aren't a lot of – Yeah, you know, the bridges. But the bridges are cool though. I think yeah, that's totally the whole cool. aspect of that. So, yeah. But it's – um, you can't replicate it unless you run it. No. So, and we'll talk about that. Um, but so you get through the marathon, you're working at New York Roadrunners, running a variety of things at New York Roadrunners, doing a great job there. And then, uh, what, like two years ago, yep. you decide to call it quits and go yeah, on I mean, your it's, own. Yeah, and... working at Roadrunners is uh, it's great because it's typically someone has a passion for running. Yeah. Not everyone is. And you're like, around running all, all day. It, every it day, almost right? becomes where your job is running, which yeah. is what it was in college almost. Yeah. And there's sometimes where you graduate college and you didn't, it, it wasn't fun because you had to run the you had to run the uh, Big East Championship with the yeah. bron- bronchitis and you had, you know. So it was definitely, it, becomes, it is your job to, to put on all these great events for other runners. So, And your job at New York Roadrunners, though, just to take a step back, was to run. And as you, you mentioned it before, like you would run with a lot of the celebrities or the VIPs, right? Yep. So there's a difference, I think, and and I know we've talked about this. Like it's one thing to run your race, right. which you did in 10, right? right? Like, But then now all these other marathons that you've run – You've had to pace other people that not necessarily are at your pace or right. your endurance, right? Exactly. So you're dialing back, which I, I remember um, fascinating story that, uh, when Meb, you know, winning the Boston Marathon, it talked to like Ryan Hall and right. how he said the strate- the strategy was they knew one of the Amer- they wanted one of the Americans to win, right? And so Meb went out, and so now they had to run slower right. to keep yeah. the Ethiopians at bay. Because Ryan Hall knew it wasn't his day. Yeah, yeah. He knew it wasn't his day. So 
he helped control that second yeah. pack, which eventually some people which were, is working harder because you're not right. used to running at like a six minute pace. You're used to running at a five and a half, you know, right. for those Kenyans right. and those Ethiopians. And that pace probably wasn't too bad because they're instead of running four fifties or five minutes, they're running five twenty or five thirty. Yeah. They're still running with in their same stride. Correct. What you're talking about, I think, is and I ran with Carly Claus this past year. We ran four forty one. Yeah. Which is 10 minute miles, 11 minute yeah. miles. And that's something I don't train at. I mean, I train yeah. with Carly, so I was used yeah. to some of that pace. And she was a phenomenal to run with and, you know, great ambassador. And she's new to running and really enjoyed the process with her. But it was, yeah, you're, we're stopping a lot. Um, we're out there for, you know, four, that was my longest run by 50 minutes ever because I'd run 351 a year or two before with James Blake, the uh, tennis player. Oh, yeah, that's right. You always get the tennis players. Well, well Carol was an Aki. was great. She just won the Australian so Open. Sure, I yeah. feel like I want to take credit yeah, for yeah. endurance. <laughs> endurance, yeah. So I was actually lucky. A lot of, I She's got, done very well since she ran the marathon. Like, well, she, she, she actually made good. the semis. She actually made the finals and lost to Serena that year. Of the U.S. Open. Because I usually, I, I, I ran, I, my first year, I, I run seven New Yorks in a row. first one was 2010 on my own. And the next six were all celebrities. VIP celebrities. And most were former athletes. Apollo Ono I ran with, James Blake, Karen Wozniacki, Summer Sanders, the swimmer. Yeah. Um, and Summer, though, was coming back with a mission, though. I remember reading her story, right? Like well, she, she also was easy to run with because she was an endurance swimmer. Yeah. And she'd run 317 in the marathon. So we ran 324. Wow. Um, which was her best time in 10 years. So she, we ran really well and paced appropriately. But uh, it's easy to tap. Even someone like Apollo who – You said a, he, he was a short distance He was like a you know, speed, skating speed skating. is like huge quads. Yeah. Like you're, it's, you're on the ice for 60 seconds or whatever it is. Yeah, and then you're off. And, and so I was a little worried about him. He, we ran 325. He qualified – I don't think he didn't qualify for Boston, but he was 325, you know, never running a marathon. That was his first was 325. Yeah. And summer, actually, the next year I ran, I was coaching summer, and she was like, I was talking to her, and I said, oh, you know, if you want me to run, I could probably run with you, because I paced, you know, you know, Apollo one year. She was like, that's how he ran so smart, because she was following him on the tracker, and he was running <laughs> such great splits. We actually ran a negative split by four and a half minutes, wow. because I was, I didn't coach Apollo. I just had to run the, that's another thing, like, I don't even know the guy, and I have to run a marathon with him. Like, so was, for most of these, when you were doing this, you'd just show up on race day, like, hey, hey, John, meet meet Apollo, Apollo, John. And that's how it was with Caroline. That's how it was with Apollo. But with James Blake, I actually coached him. and So there was interaction prior to... I ran 20 miles with him. I ran actually the week... I ran the day and the day after when he got tackled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. NYPD. Yeah, 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 I ran with him two days before because he was oh, in New York God. for the... He just he's actually from Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Fairfield. Yeah. So then he moved out to, to San Diego and I ran yeah. twenty miles, but he was in town for the US Open. And I ran with him two days before, you know, just because I'm I was advising him yeah, yeah. me for a run. And then the, the whole incident happened where the NYPD yeah, yeah, they tackled him. Yeah, someone, someone else identity uh, Yeah, and then two days later I ran with him and I actually knew him pretty well because we text and you know, we email yeah. back and forth and I just remember not mentioning the incident because he was in the media so much that week. He was at the U.S. Open. They're giving him a standing ovation because yeah. he actually handled it really well. He yeah, I thought made he it. handled it well. Yeah. He, he used it as a you know a platform to for awareness and yeah. make it about race because you know no. that really wasn't what that was about. But yeah. it, it, other people that came up and he Correct. he was like, no, that's what it was about. This and uh, so I ran with him like five miles. We ran over the the 59th Street Bridge and I was just showing him the course. And I think he was pretty thankful that. We didn't have to talk about that because he'd been interviewed, you know, <laughs> yeah, every morning show. I'm sure everyone's blowing him so up. So I was man. like, I'm like, I'm here to coach. I'm here to run. Yeah. And uh, but I ran with him 20 miles two weeks before. I was happy to be out in San Diego. We hooked up for a run. Summer Sanders. I was coaching. 
um, who I actually didn't even know. Her, I think her married name is Slopey. Yeah. She married a, a, an elite or um, like a skier. I think it's some guy yeah. that skis pretty well, I guess. But um, so I didn't know it was Summer Sand. It was a Summer Slopey I was coaching. And I met her at the same function that I was at. I think it was the Women's ESPN Sports Summit. And she's like, oh, you're my coach. And she's like, hey, Coach John. And I'm like, hey, Summer. I knew it was Summer Sanders, but I didn't know who Summer <laughs> Slopey was. was. <laughs> and so I obviously coached her through her training. So I knew it's a lot easier when you coach someone because you know yeah. exactly what they probably can run. Um, whereas I had no idea with Apollo and with Caroline Wozniacki. I think, she, I, I think I saw on Twitter once she ran like 13 miles. And I'm like, and she was also 24. The interesting thing about Caroline was she was in the prime of her career. Apollo was retired. Summer Sanders yeah. was retired. James Blake was retired. retired yeah. Um, you know, Carly Claus was retired in modeling, but she you know, wasn't an athlete. Yeah. But Caroline was, it was almost like taboo to, to run a marathon. It was at the end of the, the tennis cycle. Cycle, yeah. But she she had just run, competed in, a, I think it's a big tournament in um, Dubai or something. Yeah, they do every that Dubai year. tournament. And yeah, so she like was lost to Serena in that, I think in the semis or the finals. But um, but it, it, during the U.S. Open, there was all this talk. Oh, why is she doing this? Yeah. And then she made it to the final, so the the, the conversation shifted to maybe there's something about this endurance, endurance training. training. Yeah. But she plays five hours of tennis every day. Yeah. So um, yeah. So it's a lot trickier to pace someone when you're when you. Hey, I'm Dino. I'm John. Let's go run a, a marathon. Well, yeah, versus meeting him on marathon morning in the tent or the that's VIP where, that's, bus, the, right? The funny thing at New York Roadrunners is you're not you can't run the marathon because you have to. It's such a yeah, you got to work undertaking it. for the for the staff. And Michael Caparasso is the current CEO. I think he's run 26 marathons yeah. in New York's in a row. So he had the green light to still run that streak. Yeah. He's also the boss. <laughs> and so the only people that were allowed to run were me and Michael at the time. Yeah. So I don't think Mary ever ran it. Yeah, she, like she, she ran it recently. Well, she ran it recently. This past yeah. year was the first time. But I, I ran. People would always say, even even um, staff or coworkers would be like, "Oh, you're so lucky you get to run." <laughs> you're like, yeah. and I say it's like the if you're a Seinfeld fan, yeah, the, the Paul O'Neill episode, yeah, yeah, where it's like it's hard to hit home runs. Like, yeah. Where'd you get two from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's hard to run marathons. Yeah. So yes, it was a privilege for that. I got to run. And it was unique. But I still had to train for it. Yeah. And oftentimes I had to run slower paces. Yeah. And I'm also working three days at the expo giving course strategy know, and not yeah. eating, not hydrating. Seen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and they're like, oh, you're a good runner. I'm like, yeah. I ran the 800 meters. Yeah. <laughs> this is a marathon. <laughs> yeah, it's totally different. And so you can't fake a marathon. So, but again, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to have, now I have this, uh, this niche where I all run with some cool people who have interesting stories, just like everyone at this Project Purple and every other charity. Everyone has a story. But it's definitely cool to connect with some of these folks. But um marathons are not easy <laughs> no so it was a i don't know if we would call it a perk uh to be have to to pace people yeah. especially you know, people you don't know and they're relying on you to run a certain race and you don't know that's much a lot about of pressure them. yeah so i was luckily I've, all the ones i've paced i've done pretty well because i've always said this to our team of uh runners even the professionals and like, hey, you can – and you probably can attest to this, John. You can put all the training in and like you said, that first one you ran, you know, and then two miles down, Ooh. like your your hamstring goes. Yeah. You know, anything can happen, yep. right? We, there's one thing we can't control, which is the weather, yep. right? And we've seen that, you know, whether it's been rain or heat or, you know, we haven't had snow for the marathon, knock on right. wood, you know, but hey. Almost. The way things – yeah, almost, right? The way things have looked uh, lately – you know, um, so, you know, you can't prepare for that, but you can do all the training right. and even on race day, you know, the craziest things can happen. Nerves can set in. I mean, I know for me, 
you know, uh, going back to Boston in 14, I was like a mental mess like right. that morning. And I had my family there, which was different, you know, being in the race in 13. I think you ran I ran Boston I ran, 14? I think, I think it was the year 15? after the bombing. I ran. Yeah, 14. Yeah, I remember and you guys had a I wasn't team. in shape, but it was more like a roadrunner opportunity yeah, to raise money for Team for Kids. Team for Kids, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I probably, you know, and I figured I'd qualify for Boston eventually because the 244 yeah. qualified yeah. me. But this, I wasn't in shape. And I think it was six weeks out, me, Mary, Michael Rogers, yeah, and you guys all ran, we all raised yeah. money. And I was, I remember, and it was hot that day. Yeah, it was hot. And it was I just hot. suffered. Yeah, I was not I prepared. Yeah. It was great to be part of the event. Yeah, be year part after. of it. But yeah. And Meb won that year. Yeah, Meb won. So which was, you don't see because oh, we're out yeah, on the course, you're right? Out of the course, <laughs> you're but I it. suffered. Yeah. Those last eight miles were not fun. Um, so anything can happen, yeah, right, on race yeah. day. Like whether it's what you – I always say you worry about what you can control. Right. Like you can control the training up to that. You do the homework. Right. But even on race day, there might be something that – you know, you could have bad pasta the night before. Totally. Or, you know, might not settle with you, you know, and and that could ruin your morning, you know. So it's really, really fascinating, um, uh, you know, with, with what can happen on race day. And, and those are the things you can't really can control, right. you know. So it, it's – that's pretty wild, man, to, you know, to be able to – the pressure of, you know, having to perform – at that level, based on someone else's, and then part of that is with Summer, it was, it was the easiest thing because she's a endurance athlete already. She was also retired from a sport, so there was no controversy or worry. There's no pressure. Um, I think when Caroline ran, she, I think part of the catalyst. Uh, I'm not quoting her, but she just broke up with Rory McIlroy. Yeah, yeah, like that was like a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that went into some of her decision making. Yeah. She had charities, and she yeah. did, I think she did some. She was an ambassador for Team for Kids. Yeah. So there's other reasons. I don't want to like say that was the only reason, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the catalyst to her like doing a life change. Yeah. Like we're going back yeah. to the beginning, like it a life changing like, event. Like, like, like hey, you gotta, gotta run a marathon. But um, oftentimes, so, so with Summer, it was easy. It was like two friends going out for a run because I knew yeah. her pretty well for coaching her for four yeah. months. And she'd already run 317. She was just so 10 years old. Yeah. We ran 324. She was happy. I think we ran like a 90-second negative split. So we ran smart. Um, with Car- Carly Klaus, I had to run with two bodyguards, an NYPD guy, uh, her publicist who was also her friend. And so I had to manage eight people and run my own and make sure that I get through it. With, through it with, yeah. with Apollo, I had two people from Twitter running with us. I had uh, his coach who wasn't even a, like a runner. He was like a gym guy, which is kind of how I got – tag to do that because yeah. his coach had never run a marathon and subway at the time oh the yeah, sponsor yeah, yeah got nervous because subway if apollo broke four hours everyone got like a free he, subway. he, he <laughs> that, but it was um they would donate twenty six thousand two hundred bucks to special olympics That's so obviously cool. subway wanted to do that. do that yeah but then apollo started i wouldn't say mouthing off but telling the media that he wanted to break 330 competitive guy yeah and they're like well like all right, we want you to just run 359. We don't need you to run. <laughs> you know? and if, you, if you're not ready to run sub 330 and you try, yeah. that could be five hours. Like, who knows? That could blow up. So that's yeah. kind of why I got brought in. And then it became like this thing I did every year. But that, the catalyst was, but you know, I'm running with five people and the coach is, was 220, like 6'3". He oh, actually he finished with us. But you're almost managing like five people's races. Whereas Caroline yeah. was me and Michael Rogers. Uh, Summer was just me and Summer. Apollo was a couple people. Carly was like a whole entourage. Entourage, yeah. Which worked out great. Two people fell back towards the end because everyone has like different things that happen, even though we were all there for Carly. But I mean, there's no guarantee that I can keep up. Yeah. You know? And actually in Boston, I actually ran ran with Summer. Summer, And she left me at mile 22. I was, I couldn't, I was out of shape. It's not like you can tap out and have someone else come in, you know? No, which is what happened with Lance. Lance ran ran 259 his first time and he had Alberto Salazar and Joni Benoit and it was a whole Nike thing. Oh, so he had a whole Nike thing, yeah. And then he came back around 246. 
by himself. I think he probably had. He didn't have. I don't think he had. He probably had an entourage. Gotta, we need rabbits. I think that's yeah. what we got to do next time. Yeah. And have those rabbits go out. It's like the rabbit. You know, like the elites have yeah, those they rabbits. They go Berlin out for the first. That. Yeah, they go out for like the first yeah. ten miles. Well, sometimes like, they win it. Yeah. Like the, they they like. Well, I'm feeling pretty good. I can I just keep going. And on a given day, yeah. I think sometimes the, the the people in the race actually occasionally a rabbit will. This happens on the track too, where yeah. someone setting the pace for a world record feels good and they keep going. Um, but yeah, rabbits. There's definitely some perks to that. That's funny. Um, all right. So after New York Roadrunners, now you're doing your thing. And that brings us to where you are here today, yep. John, working with us. We're excited to have you. So talk to us a little bit. Talk to our audience about, you know, you're going to be uh, managing all of our runners training. And we've got this great online program, which we don't have to go into a lot of in-depth because we're going to be doing some stuff, right. social media, and with the runners that are currently involved in the fall program and in the summer, you'll be hearing from John and from the rest of the team here about the new training platform. But I know we're really excited to launch it. So let's maybe at maybe 10,000 foot view or surface, let's give, give the audience some ideas and some, uh, not ideas, but maybe some feedback on what the program's going to be and what it's yeah, going to look like. I mean, again, I, I know you've been working on this program for a really long time and, and we're is, kind of excited to offer it now to our team. Yeah. Our, so the online runners. program is like, you know, me and Matt Moran uh, developed it and that, that company became run tricks, which is this customized online program. That was the only way I was, I was able to coach, you know, I would coach 5,000 people a year at, for the marathon alone through this program and it was scalable because the program is built custom to each user which I think is important you don't the number one goal I think I hear from folks is oh I just want to finish and I would say take the word just out why are you minimizing the goal finishing a marathon to your point one or two percent of the world does it you know less than a half a million in the US every year and some of those are duplicates um, your goal is to finish a marathon and my job is to get you to the starting line healthy that's my number one goal I don't care if you're a three hour marathoner or an eight hour marathoner you want to enjoy the process. You want to enjoy the journey. And on race day, I want to get you as prepared as you need to be. So the online is just one tool to get you there. Um, I would say treat yourself as an athlete. You know, you can't just run. You have to, you know, do some core and strength. You know, it doesn't hurt to go play golf or play tennis and do CrossFit and not just be the one-dimensional athlete. You know, pe a, people minimize. People often will apologize to me. Oh, I'm so slow. Sorry, I'm asking you this question. Sorry to bother you. I'm like, running is putting one foot in front of the other. And moving forward, you know, race walking in the Olympics, it's you get you get like a, a flag if you like leave the ground, ground because yeah. then you're not that's running, yeah. walking at one foot on the ground at all times. So, I think it's just um, giving people the platform and the tool and the forum to have an enjoyable experience. It's not always going to be gravy. Part of the I think the benefit of the runner's high is the adversity you have to go through. And on race day, you think about the run, ten mile run in the rain, or the first run you did. Um, where you push through these adversity because the marathon is hard. That's why a lot of people don't do them. So my job as a coach is always to get people confident about their training and what their what their goal is, whether it's a time or a certain um, distance in training. I think part of it, the fun is like having the community around you. So on race day, I would say the magic of the day is the, the two the, the two million spectators. But the training journey, what's your where's your support? Now obviously in Project Purple, you have staff here that's helping people fundraise and other things and. But as a coach, you're helping people get through their training journey with those key long runs or nutrition questions and really just a resource. And back to the vein of being like an athlete, trying doing different things, whether it's yoga for recovery or stretching or other sports, you know, to kind of mix it up because running can get boring and, mm -hmm. and redundant is almost having your dream team 
just like an elite athlete will have a massage therapist. So who's your nutritionist guru? And I'm sure you'll have some folks on podcasts talking about nutrition. You'll have other resources available. You have me as a resource, as the coach. Um, but even just creating a community of, of, of why we're all doing this and why we're here. And everyone has their own reason being there. But sharing that and having that shared experience, I think, is really powerful and important. Because when it gets hard, you go, you fall back on why you're doing it in the first place. I think everyone has that unique story of why they signed up, especially for, in this case, Project Purple, uh, whatever charity they're doing. And I think it's um, creating an environment where you're going to be successful. And I think having your dream team, not everyone can afford a massage every week. You know, and there's obviously costs associated with running, although not a lot because it's, like you're talking about low barrier of entry, it's you don't need the fancy running clothes. You don't need the fancy watch. You can do, if you have the means and it helps, great. Um, and new shoes do get me out the door but easier than the old shoes for sure. But it's really just uh, creating an environment where people feel safe, that they, they feel they can have resources to go to when they need um, the help. And then we give that platform and that help when they need it. And we're just helping them through the process. And I think it's, I've had stories where people, you know, get pregnant in training cycles or they get a bad injury and you work through that or they get a job. I say life happens when you're training for a marathon. Halves you can you can fake five k yeah. you can probably sign up the next day before marathon though so a lot can happen in that race but also a lot can happen in the training I had people had deaths in the family the night before a race and they chose to run other folks chose not to run and regroup for next time so the stories that I've I had a guy who used to apologize to me for missing runs this is also the online platform where I'm emailing thousands of runners back and forth and they're training for four or five months and he apologized to me because he he was in Afghanistan in the military. And he, the reason why he missed his run was because they had to move their base. Sorry, I had to move the base again. I missed the run. I'm like, hey, thank you for your service. Yeah, I think we're <laughs> and good. I think you, I'm pretty sure moving the base wasn't like sitting on the couch. Yeah. Like you're moving stuff and there's adversity and you're doing some physical fitness involved with that. So it's, it's amazing to help people along their journeys. And they're obviously doing the work, but I'm just here to support. And that can mean different things to different people depending on how their journey goes. Some journeys go great. Others have a lot of bumps in the road, and just like you know, pancreatic cancer is the evil. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things that people, a lot of the survivors. That's really the inspirational thing for me is to hear everyone's story. I have my story. We went through it a little bit today, and maybe that's exciting because I was in the Olympic Stadium in the trials, and most people aren't going to have that experience. But listening to all you know, that I always think about that guy in the base moving the base, and that's why he missed the run, or the the single parent that has three kids and three jobs, and they're still training for a marathon, and. So when people have excuses, um, I think one another example was actually the New York Times did an article on me and all the coaching I was doing in 2014. Mm-hmm. And the main story was about me and this woman, Adele. She actually lost her son. Uh, he passed away during her cycle. And she, I remember she emailed me and said, oh, I had a rough week. And so a rough week can mean a lot of different things. So I emailed her back and said, oh, sorry for your rough, rough week. Not knowing what that meant, it could have been a blister. In this case, she wrote back as like my son, thirty-year-old son, passed away. Now, I'm not a therapist, uh, you know. Sometimes I feel like it as a coach, but so I wrote back and uh, what, what what did I say? I just said sorry for your loss. I said you know running is should take a back seat, obviously, but it can be. A, it's okay to be selfish once in a while. You can't think about the death and loss every second of the day. I'm sure it's going to be quite consuming, but I said take your time. I'm here if you need me. I mean, she had to deal with the funeral and all these things, and, and I said, just, just, I'm here if you need me, and don't be afraid to take 30 minutes to go walk and run to clear your head, and that's not selfish. It's just good for your your health, and running can be very therapeutic, 
and this is all via email. And then she emailed me two weeks later and said, I'm going to dedicate this rest of this training to my son. And we developed this really special relationship. I met her at the expo. We, we hugged and cried a little bit. And that's just an example of a story where there was lots of you know, bad day. <laughs> a rough week was a, was a pretty rough. I don't think it could get much worse than losing a child. Um, but I remember that I got a lot out of her story and her persevering through that. So, But it doesn't mean when someone emails you and says they have a blister and they can't run. Yeah. I'm not going to throw that death in the, yeah, that yeah. woman's family, but hey, come on. Yeah. So everyone has different training ups and downs, and you just have to help them navigate through it. And I think I, for, the, for this program, the scalability of it, I've, I've been able to coach probably thirty or 40,000 people for a half marathon and a marathon. And there's very similar themes, that ups and downs. Now, there's different stories of death in the family and pregnancy or a new job or moving, yeah. you know, my life happening. But as far as training and aches and pains and – I've probably seen it all as far, not that I'm not learning myself, but I'm pretty well equipped to answer most of the questions. And the beauty of, 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 of my history and uh, kind of perspective is I'm not afraid to say I don't know the answer, but I often know who has the, I'm not a nutritionist, but I know I can answer 80% of the questions, but that 20%, can find I can find it. So that's one of the things of knowing what you don't know, I think it's actually a, it's a strength. It's the strength because I, I my running history i've come across a lot of great coaches and a lot of other great athletes and experts in their field whether that's sports psychology or you know putting a band-aid on a blister you know and um you know me or someone else knows the answer and then you know oftentimes the runner knows it but they they don't know they know it so it's just kind of getting them there getting them there getting them confident to make those judgment calls on when to run out not to run and the difference between injury and soreness Mm -hmm. There is, um, you know, running is definitely trial and error, whether that's finding the right shoe for you or the right shorts or the right fuel. There's people that are allergic to the plastic in the cups. Yeah. And they, you know, you take it for granted. You can just get the Gatorade cup on the yeah. mile 18, uh, the New York City Marathon. But there's folks that have to bring their own container, container yeah, and then fill right. it up. Yeah. And they can't even take it out of the water that's already yeah, in the cups. They have to go. Go around. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm as well bring your yeah, own. I can or... have the, the, the gels in, in, yeah. on the course. People that can't, yeah, you know, they bring in. They got to bring their own stuff. And if they're out there for six or seven hours, a lot more logistics involved. So yeah. you know, I think most of us have have it pretty easy. But uh, it's just helping people through their process and the journey, man. The journey, the journey. Well, John, I really uh, appreciate the time, and and we really are excited to have you on board as part of the team here. I'm so, excited to be a part of the team. Looking thank forward you. to getting out there. Thank you for your time today to tell us about uh, and tell our audience about your history and uh, can't wait for November, man. I, I I wish the fall. I get so excited. See, th- these are the things that really get me like pumped up. I mean, the the whole year now running. You know, before I think when we started Project Purple back in uh, 2010, like you know, you had the fall, right? Right. And then we started to add, like we started to sprinkle in some races and now it's like, you know, 17 races. And yeah, that's a lot. We've got people doing other races, but you know, the calendar is full all year long. So it is exciting throughout the year, but there's something special about the fall. Yeah. I don't know if it's because we, you know, we end things with New York. We, uh, we're in Chicago, Twin Cities. We got, you know, I ran Detroit last year, the half marathon, which we're going to build a big team this year, and Des Moines, which has been a great market for us as well. So there's a, there's some really, really cool races. Twin Cities, Long Beach, and Chicago are all on the same weekend this wow, year. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's three races. Divide and conquer the staff. Yeah, d- we're going to divide and conquer the entire uh, the staff throughout the country. So there's just some really, really exciting things. And I think maybe just talking about training because, you know, we're not necessarily 
there yet for our fall races. Uh, we'll be there a lot. We'll be there sooner than right. we than we know. You know, it'll be here before we know it. But uh, just really excited. So thank you, John, for the time today, and thanks for being part of the team. And we look forward to all the great things coming down the line here. And thank you for the great work you guys do. I'm excited to be part of the team and help the process, help the cause, and uh, get people fitter and faster and more confident. And uh, also enjoy it. It has to be it has to be fun. Yeah, you know, so that's important. There's too. no fun, then there's yeah. No why fun. do it? Why do it? Yeah. Well, thank you, John, and we look forward to having you on future podcasts as well. I know we've got you coming back talking about training and some of the other things more in line with uh, the training and uh, running as a whole. So thank you, and we look forward to having you in the future. Sounds good.